I'm Kristen, and Misty has asked I'm a um, mentor mom here for Renew Church for Love Life. So Misty has just asked me to kind of share my experience and how it came to be. So I wrote it down, so I'm just going to read it, and um, here we go. My first exposure to Love Life was early in 2022 when Renew was involved with the prayer walk. I went feeling obligated to participate, but I left inspired and soul-stirred. I remember thinking during prayer that day, wouldn't it be amazing if every church in Modesto was a house of refuge? Wouldn't it be awesome if a mom didn't need to Google what do I do in my unplanned pregnancy or where do I find an abortion? But instead, she could drive to the nearest church and be supported with love and open arms in her difficult time. I was encouraged to know that with the help of Love Life and the structure they've created, that this could become a reality. I continued to attend prayer walks as my schedule allowed, and um, every time leaving with hope that the fight against abortion is active and advancing. At the prayer walks, it's not just the praying that is so inspiring, but it's also a sense of engaging in battle together, shoulder to shoulder with the body of Christ. The Spirit continued to nudge me through Misty's um, social media post, and I was pretty much wrecked today that this picture popped up on my screen. I don't remember exactly what Misty said in her post, but as I stared into the eyes of this beautiful baby girl, it was, I was just astonished that she was saved right here in our city on the sidewalk by Coffee Road. It was as if her blood from the blood of millions of aborted babies before her was crying out to me through her beautiful bright black eyes. I shared the picture and the great news with my family and friends, but I didn't take further action at that time, but thankfully the spirit kept stirring in me. At some point last spring, Misty asked me if I would be interested in being a mentor mom. I said I would pray about it, but the first thoughts that hit me were waves of doubt. Like, Misty got the wrong girl, and I don't have anything to offer a mom in an unplanned pregnancy. And getting involved with this could be messy. Like, what if she takes advantage of me? And Lord, I feel like I have a lot on my plate with just my own family. But as I continued to seek the Lord in prayer, he graciously brought me to Psalm 91.1 that says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The spirit inside me said, Kristen, it does not say he who stays out of the messy will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It says he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. And at that point, I knew I could dwell in the shelter of the Lord and that I would be God's vessel and he, it would be him doing the work and not me just trying to fix someone. I said to God, here I am, Lord, send me. I then took the two-hour love life training to become a mentor mom. The training was very helpful, resourceful, and professionally done. It was neat to be on the Zoom call with people from all over the U.S. Once again, a glimpse of the body of Christ battling together. Fast forward to November, and I got a call from Misty that she had a mom to match me with. I'll call her Mama. Mama met the Love Life team outside of the abortion clinic, and she was there seeking prenatal care um, and didn't have the means to do it elsewhere, so she wasn't abortion-minded, and she also believed in Jesus. But all that to, um, so Misty told me this single mama just needed support and a friend, and then closer to her due date, I could throw her a baby shower. It was neat how God brought us together as we actually had several things in common. Within a day or two of being her mentor, she had some complex and unexpected needs arise. I was not sure how to respond, but Misty was an awesome backup, or more like the frontline person, but she spent a lot of time looking for resources to help Mama. There was even a chance that Mama might have to relocate, and I knew if I needed, I could rally people at Renew Church to help move her, but how much better would it be to have a team already in place? That storm blew over, but soon after that, Mama miscarried her precious baby. 
With Misty's guidance, I was able to reach out and help Mama, like I would do for a friend. She was grateful for my care and support, and she told me that what I did for her felt like something that a sister would do for a sister. We continue to communicate through texting, but that has become less and less. Nevertheless, I'm grateful for this brief experience God brought me and as an introduction to becoming a mentor mom. When I was matched to Mama, I shared it with a few people here at Renew, but we do definitely do not have a House of Refuge team in place. Moving forward, wouldn't it be amazing that the next time Misty calls a mentor mom at Renew um, to match her to a mom in an unplanned pregnancy, that we here would have a whole unit to deploy. We would have a common mission, Operation Save a Baby, and we would accomplish it together as the body of Christ. I'm not talking about a unit with just a mentor mom and a few ladies to throw a shower, but a multidisciplinary team with carpenters and mechanics and cosmetologists and photographers and social workers and manpower and cleaners and financial planners and trailer owners and painters and thrifters and organizers and party planners and any gift you have to offer. You can be part of the team. This is my prayer and vision for us at Renew. Together in this body is truly the best place to be. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus, share the love of Jesus to hurting moms, and glorify Jesus by advocating for the unborn whom he has created. Thank you. Check, check. So my name is Misty, and I am the city director of Love Life, the missionary assigned here in Modesto. And um, that baby that you saw there, her name is Eliana Lixani, and she is a precious gift from the Lord. She was, she was the very first save that we had here in Modesto. I, I knew that God had called me. Um, to be honest, I didn't have much support. I stood out there alone at the abortion center, and I made lots of really big promises to every mom that walked, uh, that drove in, and I, be and I believed and I trusted that God would fulfill those promises, and every step of the way, he has done that. So I, I, I said, I'll stand alone, Lord, I'll do it. And look at, though, you know, I, um, God has just expanded, and he's doing such a mighty work through the body of Christ, and I am so grateful. Um, so I wanted to start with asking a question because so often this, you know, I, I, I see the, you know, the body of Christ, I go to lots of churches and I think if your Christianity is boring, then you are doing it very, very wrong. This is a, this is a, is a, is a faith that is radical. It's extreme. It's amazing. It's supernatural. And, you know, just that small glimpse that, that Kristen shared with us, it's amazing. We, we think, oh, we're going to bless these moms. You guys, I'm here to testify. I am blessed beyond measure. I w was in a delivery room with a mom this last week, being her doula. Like, I've never done that. But this is, this is what we do. And it is amazing to just be a part, to just say yes. Okay, God, yes, I'll do it. Whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And we are blessed because of it. So Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I exhort myself and I ask, do we take that command seriously? So you've heard some about the ministry. So why this lane? I, I think about that. And like, why would I pick this lane to go into all the world and share the gospel? And... Um, you know, these women, I often think, like, uh, I don't know if, how many of you have been pregnant before in this room. I've been pregnant six times, and um, under the best of circumstances, that's a very challenging time in a woman's life. But under tragic circumstances and difficult circumstances, it can often be too much for them. It's, it's too much. And so when we, when we meet, this, meet them at this place of brokenness, so often it's, it's the, end of the end of the road for them. It's, it's sort of this uh, crucial crossroads for so many of them driving in. Like you saw there, Alicia, you know, driving in going, okay, this is what you do. You're facing an unplanned pregnancy. You go here. But the door that that opens, um, it's, it's tragic. And so they're, they're, they're headed in to a place in life that... Um, 
they never expected. And we know this because the amazing part of this ministry too is that we counsel mamas after abortion. This isn't a, a ministry of condemnation or shame. It is of healing and restoration. Because um, I can tell you as a house of refuge, what your pastor and what this church is, is looking to do is number one, to prevent abortions from happening. Because 54% of women that get abortions say that they're Christians. And in the last month, they have attended a church, and they attend a church at least once a month. Number two, we want to provide healing for those affected by previous abortions. Do you know that one in four men and women in church, in this church, these are the statistics, guys, they have abortion in their past. We don't want people to sit silently in pain. And I can testify again, once again, these women that we, um, my, my co-missionary, she hosts a post-abortive Bible study where our burden in our heart is that God would raise up somebody in every House of Refuge church to facilitate that same Bible study because we have, most of these ladies um, are in their 60s and 70s. Some have, have shared been in church a very long time. We're talking decades and decades of pain that they've walked in. And they share, you know, I was, I was suicidal before I came to this study. I have been my whole life. And, and you know, this is, this is an issue that they, that they live with. And they sit silently in the pews and they don't share this with people. We don't want that. And what they experience is tremendous freedom following these studies. And number three, we do want to protect the unborn in, in our community. And since 2016, we've seen 4,830 women choose life, just like Alicia in the video, as we stand in the gap through prayer, our prayer, our presence at the abortion centers. So as a house of refuge, this church is a house of refuge. We want women to stop running to the abortion centers, like Kristen said, and start running to the local churches we want to send them here for love and help. Will you show that kind of compassion to them? Will you? Truly, this is, this is the call of the Lord's heart for us, to show compassion. If you'd like to know more, I invite you, please, first and foremost, sign up for our prayer team. There's a big old QR code. You can scan that or sign your name on the list. I send out prayer updates from the sidewalks to say, listen, there's a mom headed in. We just had a conversation with her. There's a dad wandering around the parking lot. We had a conversation with him. Church, I need you to pray right now. Stop what you're doing and pray. So we send out those texts. We send out those emails. So please, it is foundational to this ministry. Prayer is foundational to this ministry. So I invite you to do that. And then secondly, like Kristen said, we have a ministry interest list a lot of times, I had no idea what God um, was calling me to. If I did, I probably would have said no. But in the beginning, I just went, Lord, I want, to, I want to do something. What do I do? What would you have me do? And he began to just slowly and gently reveal what it is that he had for me. But, you know, I, I think most church-going people, they're very well-meaning. It's not like we don't want to do something. We believe in that this is, this is truth. We believe that that is an image bearer of God, and we don't want abortions happening in our city, but what do we do? What do we do? So first and foremost, pray. But please, if, if God stirred your heart in any way, like Kristen said, there is a place for everybody on this team. So I encourage you to sign your name to that ministry interest list. We'll continue the conversation. I don't need you to sign in blood. I'm not asking you to do anything for the next 22 years. It could just be, hey, can you deliver a meal to a mom? Could you do that? Hey, this mom, you know, she has another baby and she doesn't have, you know, they, they need a 2T little, a, a couple summer outfits. Do you have anything? Do you have any hand-me-downs in your closet? These are the kinds of things that truly make up uh, where we can get these testimonies from the moms where they say, that's like what a sister would do. Because I've heard it said from some of the moms in our, at, at our showers, you know, I have family or I have relatives, but I don't have family. Guys, we're the body of Christ. Let us be that family to these people who don't have a family. So with that, um, I leave you um, with that charge to just seek the Lord related to it and um, sign those lists. Thank you, guys.
Thank you, Kristen and Misty. I'm going to pray for them specifically in their ministry. So join me in praying for them. Uh, God in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we've heard about uh, your heart for the unborn and for the mamas and dads, Lord. And we thank you for Misty and Kristen and their willingness to say yes and for their ministry. And Lord, they're the first ones to admit that uh, they don't have all the answers, but you do. So Lord, we just come before you as a church, as the body, and we just pray for their ongoing ministry and whoever it is that you bring um, to their doorstep, to the sidewalk, to, to their car, Lord, that, uh, that you just speak uh, through your spirit, through them, and thank you again for opportunities, Lord. Thank you for this church and that we are a house of refuge and we pray for other churches to be able to do the same, Lord, and help us do it better and do it well. And Lord, we just thank you for the gift of life, and we don't want to take that for granted, Lord. And we do pray for the born and the unborn children, Lord, and especially right now for any moms or dads who are considering aborting children. We pray for your spirit to speak to them. And we pray that you call them onto yourself. So we thank you, and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Now I gotta preach. So uh, we're taking a break, obviously, from our, our series in um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, this morning, I, I want to um, look at the Good Samaritan. I titled the, the the message "Mercy: The Good Samaritan" on this Love Life Sunday, and <laughs> that's a long title. Uh, but I, I uh, ask you if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word. The Good Samaritan story is found in Luke 10, and we're going to read verses 25 through 37. Luke 10, 25 through 37, I'm going to read from the NLT. Starting at verse 25, and it reads, One day an expert in religious law stood up and tested to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Brief prayer. God, thank you for your word and for your spirit that illuminates the scripture for our understanding, Lord. Thank you again that we can come and read freely. So, Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. So this Sunday, obviously, is our Love Life Sunday. And that means this coming Saturday is our prayer walk. And all of you are invited to the prayer walk. And as Misty and Kristen said, we are a house of refuge, and that means being involved. And uh, I forgot how long ago it was. It was a few months ago when I was talking to Misty and Cynthia, planning uh, when we would have a Love Life Sunday. 
I was, I was considering and thinking throughout that time, and then especially this last two weeks or so, what is it that the Lord would want me to say on this Sunday? And the Lord put on my heart uh, what we can do for people who need our love and support. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here, and I know what that means, but I'm going to make it anyways. I'm assuming that most of you, but most likely all of you, would believe that abortions are bad, and it's not what God desires. You believe the sanctity of life. Now, before I go too far, before I get ahead of myself, I tend to do that. If you disagree with that, I would love to talk to you about it. So would Misty, Kristen. Second, as Misty mentioned, statistically speaking, someone in here may have had an abortion or you are the father of someone who had an abortion. I want you to know God offers forgiveness. There's no shame. He loves you. Now with all those disclaimers, I think as a church and as individuals, as Renew, as Dallas Jackson and whatever your name is, I, I, I think we can grow in the area of caring for people who are in a position that need help. I actually think that is what all Christians can grow in. I actually have a list, but I'll, I'll stay there. So as I was considering this and picking uh, the Good Samaritan, I was reminded of a story, and, and uh, I do love stories, and I usually write them down and I save them in my notes so I can share them. But several years ago, I, was, uh, I attended a ministry conference on how to minister to people who are recovering from sus- substance abuse, specifically those who were dealing with substance abuse in high school. And it's interesting that it was a ministry conference because it was actually put on by the school district. And part of the event is they had various people on the last night or last day share their testimonies. And I remember very specifically there was this young man who was probably 22 or 23 years old, and I can tell you exactly what he looked like, black jeans and a black T-shirt, and he had a big chain on it and another big chain. And uh, he was the last one to share, and he was a very clear speaker, and and, um, he was sharing that he got into drugs when he was in sixth grade. And that all through his middle school years, he was strongly addicted to drugs, and he listed them out, and they were all kinds of drugs. And, but then he said, his freshman year, someone spoke to him about the love of Christ. And it was a great success, and he told all the work that God had done that freshman year, how he had a mentor, how he was attending school, uh, church, he was attending Uh, Bible study at school, uh, all these great things for him in ninth grade. And he knew ninth grade would be the year for him. And it was. And then he stood up there and said, but the summer between ninth and 10th grade did not go so well. He proceeded to tell us how he ran into an old friend. Isn't that always how it starts? He ran into an old friend, and one thing led to another, and he began using again. And he also mentioned his girlfriend got pregnant. But he said his mind was so fried, and so was her. Her brain was so fried, they didn't even know what to do with the baby. And then the young man stopped and said something that I would never forget. He just stood there and stared at the crowd, which felt like forever. There was full of pastors and teachers, administrators, leaders, and he just stared at us. And then he broke the silence and said, most people, when they find out that I had a relapse the summer between ninth and 10th grade, did exactly what all of you did and shook your head. He said, slightly, but you shook your head because you couldn't believe that I went all the way back. And then he said, but there was one guy that did not shake his head at me. 
He said, I had a science teacher, and he stayed with me, and he stayed with me, and he invited me in to live with him. And he said that God's grace is greater. And then the young man went on to say that he asked his teacher many years later, his senior year, he had been clean by then, he was living with the teacher. They did keep the baby. He brought out his little boy and his wife. And when he asked the teacher, why? I know it's God's grace, but why me? And the teacher said, because you are my neighbor. You are my neighbor. And then the boy made a joke and he said, yeah, but I lived on the other side of the town. He said, but you were in my class. So you are my neighbor. So as we consider that story and we consider what's going on here, let's just walk through here briefly through the story of the Good Samaritan. So this is the section in Luke where Jesus tells parables, but it's, it's directly in contrast because the teachers of the law are, were always trying to trip up Jesus. That's why verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit the eternal life? What the teacher of the law probably thought he was going to say is follow me. But Jesus, being ever so Jesus, put the question back on him. He said, what does the law of Moses say? So he went back to what he knew. That's key. And how do you read it? Then the man answered with the Shema. The Shema is, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. That's a little song that I remember as a kid. That's why I do it. And that's found in Deuteronomy 6.4 and Leviticus 19.18. At least three times a day, every, Jewish, every good Jewish person recites the Shema. Because that's what they were supposed to do. To be reminded to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' reply to him is, right. You got it right. Do this and you will live. Remember, this is a question about how do I inherit eternal life? How am I saved, Jesus? How am I saved? So Jesus said, right, do this and you will live. And then in verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor justifying his actions? Anybody ever try to justify their actions? Everybody, anyone ever ask for the short list? Just give me the bare minimum of what I need to do. What do I need to do in order to collect a paycheck? What is the minimum amount? I did a wedding yesterday. By the way, Kyle and Kryn are, are married. Yay. <laughs> yeah, we can clap for them. And uh, one, of the, one of the questions that we had gone, th had gone through in premarital, and, and I got permission to share this, it's not too juicy, is never ask each other, what's the bare minimum to make you happy? You're, you're probably giggling because it's true. And you probably have tried to consider, all right, what do I have to do to at least appease her or him? I'm sure ladies do that too. What's the bare minimum? Like show up, come home, say I love you every once in a while. A gift, that's what it is. It's a gift. But he wanted to justify his actions. Essentially, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He actually, I believe, and most scholars believe, can you tell me the radius in which I have to consider someone my neighbor? And the reason why is in many Jewish uh, homes, towns, at this time, they were actually really small. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, whenever you go to Jerusalem, you'll see how tiny the homes are and how stacked together they are. But there's not that many unless it's a great big city like Jericho or Jerusalem or other ones. Essentially, what he's asking is, can you give me the list of five or six people that I have to do the bare minimum to? So, Jesus first asked him a question. And then he tells a parable. And here is the parable. 
And he tells the story that Jesus, on verse 30, Jesus replied with a story or a parable. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. The reason why it's, it's called traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho, even though Jericho is above it, is because Jerusalem is the highest point. So there's traveling down to Jericho, and he's attacked by bandits. This wouldn't have been uncommon. That road is very dangerous, and you never went at night, and you usually went in a group. But they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. They stripped him of his clothes to shame him because he was a Jewish man. It could also mean they also cut into his beard. Essentially, what the bandits did is stole from him and took any dignity that he had because the bandits would knew no Jewish person would want anything to do with a fellow Jewish person that looked like that. I don't think I have to go too far to say we don't want to hang out with people who look like that. And that's what they did to him. And they left, they left him half dead beside the road. In verse 31, it says, By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. What comes to mind when you read that line? Do you, you look at the priest and think, oh, what a guy? Or do you think of the time that you've done it? Anyone ever look the other way when you're driving to avoid whatever's going on over here so you don't have to get involved? See, it says, by chance a priest came along. And we know because we read earlier that the story takes place that the man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So we're assuming, I think it's safe to say, that that, that priest was following on the same path, that he too was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho because he wasn't already on the other side of the road. So if he was from Jerusalem down to Jericho, what that means, since he is a priest... King David, long before this, established the organization of the priest. He would organize the priest into sections of four, or 24, excuse me. And in that 24, there was four, and King David was brilliant in this. And each priest, regardless of what region they were assigned to or where they were from, at least once a year, would come and serve as the priest of the temple in Jerusalem. It was a great honor. I don't know necessarily there's an equivalent now for Protestants. I, I wouldn't get real excited to go to another church to serve for a week. I can't, but you get the point. Go be the pastor at some big, large church, the place for a week. And when that priest would come home, he was a celebrity. Because for a whole week, he was the priest at Jerusalem. So... The, this priest was coming home. He saw this man. He crossed the street and, and went to wherever he was going, back to Jericho or the surrounding areas where he was the priest of his local synagogue. And what would happen, the tradition is, is what a priest would do is when he came into town, all of the people would come and would be very excited to see him. They would want to touch him. They would even describe him, describe him as he was he was shiny, he was excited, almost as if, if you remember how Moses was described, whenever he was in the presence of the Lord, he had to wear a veil, so shiny, because he was in the presence of the Lord. And where was the presence of the Lord? In the temple. So everybody would want to come and see this priest and touch him and, and all that. However, if the priest came back and he had touched someone who looked like this, he would be ceremonially unclean. Now imagine if he would come home and if he'd come down and, and he's going back to his home church, his home synagogue, and everyone's lining up to see him. How did it go? Did you, get a, did you cheat and sneak in the Holy of Holies? Which he wouldn't have. He would have been dead. But how was it? What did it look like? And, and everyone would touch him and he would say, I'm sorry, but on the way home I touched someone who was unclean. I'm actually unclean and it'll be several days until we can talk. It just would look bad. Essentially, this Jewish priest crossed the side of the other road because he was selfish 
it was going to take away the 20 minutes of fame he would have received when he got back. Then Jesus continues on and he says in verse 32, a temple assistant or a Levite, temple assistant or a Levite, they are not priests. They are the administrators of the temple. They are the ones that actually ran the show. They're the ones who organized all of the events, made sure when that priest was gone, they would bring in another priest. They were the ones who collected all of the money and gave it out as needed. They were also the ones that recorded each time they met For Sabbath, they were the ones that did really all of the works, just like all of you great administrators are really the backbone of everything. And he too walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. See, now at least he looked at him and then crossed the road. Same thing, he's a Jewish man. Because he's a Levite. Only Levites were allowed to be the temple assistants as well. And so he looked at him and thought, this is messy. I don't want to get involved. Just can't do it. Just, no thanks. I'll just leave him lying there. And then Jesus in verse 33 says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Notice that Jesus said despised Samaritan. Essentially, what Jesus is doing is saying, by the way, I do know what you call Samaritans. He doesn't say, then it's Samaritan, a despised Samaritan. So at least in my mind, in my cartoon mind that I picture things, Jesus with a grin on his face, a despised Samaritan, and everyone got uncomfortable. Came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, The Samaritan smoothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. We'll stop there. Just a couple of things. The Samaritan, Samaritan and Jewish people never got along. Ever since the exile, and we covered this in in Ezra and Nehemiah, but just a quick recap. Israel was broken into two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, The northern kingdom was attacked first by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was attacked then by the Babylonians. The northern kingdom never came back. But what the Assyrians did is they interbred and intermarried with all of those Jewish people. Their thought was, we'll just destroy them because we know how sacred it is for their bloodline. So ever since that time, a Samaritan is anyone who is half Jewish and half something else. They were despised. The argument was the southern kingdom said, we did a better job. At least when we were in captivity, we said no. They justified themselves again. So the Jewish people, full Jewish people and Samaritans had been fighting and butting heads ever since that took place. Ever since, even after the temple was rebuilt, the Samaritans also were the ones who then built their own temple. They're the ones that had this conflict. So they're like, you know what? We're going to build our own temple. You think we're half-breeds? That's fine. We're going to do it. That's why in John 4, when the lady at the well is talking to Jesus, who is a Samaritan, when the conversation goes back and forth, and she says, the Samaritans worship God here in Sychar, or Samaria, and the Jewish worship in Jerusalem, which one is the right one? And that's when Jesus replies, it's me. I'm the living water. You need to worship me. Now go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. You're right. You got a lot of guys. That whole awkward thing. But there were two separate people. And, and to the naked eye, I would say for the Western eye, I, I think it would be very difficult for us to be able to tell the difference between a Samaritan who worship and a Jewish people who worship. It looks identical. So they... they despise each other, but he is the one, the despised Samaritan is the one that compassion for him. And then going over the Samaritan, soothe his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandage them at his own cost. Then he put the man on his own donkey, which was a big no-no. You can't even do that because technically then the donkey was not fit to ride by a Samaritan. So technically, he would either have to sell it to a Jewish person, but the Jewish person wouldn't sell. He would actually have to go kill it. 
And he took care of him. Then verse 35, notice this. It says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Let's just stop there. So the next day implies that he stayed with him overnight, all night long, and cared for his wounds, bandaged him up. He probably didn't carry bandages, so the assumption there is he tore from his own cloak, tied up his bandages, tied them up with bandages of his wounds, stayed with him the whole night. It says the innkeeper, then he gave the innkeeper two silver coins, half a denarii, depending on what translation it is. Essentially, he gave him about six weeks worth of rent. And this inn, since it is an inn between Jerusalem and Samaria, it, wasn't, it was more like a hostel. It's like one of the places that you only end up going to if you have to. So this is a shady organization. And he gives him six weeks worth of pay. And then he says this. Take care of this man. If this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now this is a shady innkeeper. Let's assume. I'm going to assume there. Essentially what he's saying is, I'm allowing you to extort me to take care of this man. This man means so much to me even though we are supposed to be enemies, that I'm going to allow you to run up the bill. It also means he has every intention of coming back and checking on him. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. And then Jesus asked him, verse 36, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked, who attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I'm thinking if I was Jesus, I would say, say it, Samaritan. (laughs) Good thing I'm not Jesus, huh? But remember, he he says, yes, now go do the same to... The question in 29, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The one who cared for another person. Remember, this is all about salvation because that was the, the original question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Love God. And it's interesting, too, if we circle back, the question that he asked, who is my neighbor? He didn't even ask the right question. I think perhaps the right question is, is, and how do I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and all my mind? He didn't because he knew that would cost him a lot. What he didn't know is he was setting himself up to which Jesus then tells this parable of the Samaritan who cared for him. So then Jesus says, yes, now go ahead. Now, no, now look, we're going to take a look at the, the Samaritan real quick, what he did, and then just a couple of takeaways. The Samaritan, at great cost to him on all, on all levels. Personally, he would have only carried enough olive oil and wine for his own wounds. That's the whole reason why you would carry it on a road trip. It's not a gift you would bring. He also, at great cost to himself, gave up his donkey knowing that If anyone found out, he would have to kill his donkey. And perhaps the greatest risk is knowing that someone that he does not get along with, traditionally they would not have got along with, nor the innkeeper, who was probably Jewish, knew that he could steal him, steal from him any great amount, and he paid six weeks worth of of wages to stay there. So as I was considering this, and I'm just thinking, does my Christian walk cost me anything? Does it cost me anything personally to follow Christ? And the answer is yes, it should be. We are to die to self. But if we're considering our neighbor, when you ask somebody, can I help you? Or what do you need? We're opening up a hole this door of who knows what's, what they're actually going to say. Honestly, when you ask, hey, how are you doing? We've gone over this so many times. How are you doing? You're hoping the other person says, I'm fine. <laughs> the end. But if they say, actually, I'm not doing so well, you're like, oh, you're going to tell me about it? 
So we're opening this door, this, this opportunity, when we ask, how are you doing? That's a whole nother level. This one is, we see what's wrong, and we live in a time, we, we are so Western, which isn't bad, this is where we're from, we, where we are so self-independent. I mean, if we lived in a time now, if we got beat up, we'd probably call a friend, assuming the bandits didn't take it. But we have such a close knit of family members and friends that we just really rely on ourselves. Has anyone ever here tried to load something that was way too big for them because they really didn't want to ask for help? Right? Why? What's wrong with us? I got it, guys. Like, no, you don't. So who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Hopefully we are not trying to justify ourselves of who our neighbor is. See, Jesus tells the story again to point to salvation, to point to him, and what it means to love the Lord your God, and then their response. That's why, and in, in, in also to justify themselves in Matthew 25, I, I won't read the whole thing, just verses 44 and 45, when Jesus is giving this whole discourse about who's going to be on his right and who's going to be on the left, and then he says this in verse 45, then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or, or in prison and not help you? And he, Jesus, replied, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you refuse to help me. Like Jesus is very clear about that. Very clear about that. So, Love Life Ministry and this ministry, it's a way to love our neighbor. Now, if you're sitting here and thinking, well, that's just not me. My question is, then what ministry are you involved in? I mean, we have H Street. We have Mission Gospel. I mean, we have lots of ministries to be involved in. And I'm not talking about ministry in-house. Ministry in-house is usually cleaner. It's neater. We look like each other. doesn't cost a lot. I mean, time, sure. Someone may annoy you, obviously. Whatever it is. But I mean, someone that you know that after the event is over, they're not going to call you and say, can you help me one more time? So what ministry are you involved in? And again, this is not a guilt thing. This is, a, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Where do you want to be involved? So here, here's my three, three takeaways Number one, it's simply not enough to see a need and feel bad about it. I got that from another pastor that, that Misty shared with me. It's simply not enough to see a need and feel bad about it. That's just a feeling. Man, that guy beat up, that's just a bummer. I'll pray for him. See, the thing is, is all three of these men saw the same guy. The priest saw him. The temple assistant or Levite saw him. And the despised Samaritan saw him. All three saw him. Only two felt bad and moved on. Samaritan felt bad and did something. The second one, what you do is dependent on what you see. What you do is dependent on what you see. Meaning, do you put yourself in situations to see a need? Do you put yourself in situations to see a need? I know one of the things that, um, that happened a couple of months ago is that there, was, there started to be a, a larger homeless camp that started popping up down the Virginia corridor over where we lived, and I stopped driving over there because I didn't want to see it anymore. I mean, I went a whole extra two blocks out of the way so I wouldn't have to see it anymore. So what do you do? What you do is dependent on what you see. So do you put yourself in a situation to see? Are you out in the world? No, we're not supposed to become the world, but are you out there or do you stay in your safe bubble? And the last one, what you see is determined by what you are. What you see is determined by what you are. It's going back to that story that I told about that man that just stood there and said, I, I saw the same reactions of people shaking 
their head. See that young man there as someone who messed up yet again? Do you see someone who messed up yet again, but how can I help? So what you see is determined by what you are. And what you are is a follower of Christ. So as, you, as, as we close here, just considering where can you help? Where can you make a difference? And I know all the arguments. I make them all myself. I have kids. They're my first ministry. I love God first, then my family, then the church. I'm a pastor. Um, I don't want to enable someone. I mean, I, I know all of the excuses. I make all the excuses. But thankfully, Christ doesn't treat us that way. He gets us every time and says, get on my donkey. If we are always worried about counting the costs, all we have to do is go back to Christ. It costs him everything. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time and thank you for the ministry of Love Life and... um, the various ministries locally and in our country and worldwide, Lord, will you, through your spirit, just speak to how we can get involved. And we know that we, we may be in different seasons where we can help in different amounts of time or money. And we are all not in the same place, but we all can make a difference, Lord. And, and really, chiefly, prayer, Lord. Let us not just go by a need without praying, and not, not just a pass-by prayer, not that you don't hear those, but those ones where we just care, where we ask you to come and intercede, Lord. And maybe it's not love life that we need to be involved in, but it's something else, but will you speak to that, Lord? And, and if we look and, and uh, there isn't a ministry that um, we here at Renew support that, that we need to, will you make that? Evident to us, Lord. Lord, let us be on our knees and pray, Lord. And since this is Love Life Week, Lord, we do pray again for the unborn and for the moms and dads who right now are considering life or not. And we pray for um, those who are ministering to them, those who are, are encouraging them to keep their baby, those who are throwing baby showers, those who are walking alongside and getting in the, the messiness of it all, Lord. And Lord, instead of being a priest or a temple aid, Lord, let us be a despised Samaritan. We're reminded that you were despised, Lord. Oh, you're a good God, and thank you for the forgiveness of sin, Lord. You're so good. We love you in Christ's name.